coming up on the Mission Readiness Podcast. It is imperative to support proven nutritional programs that provide young people with reliable access to fresh and nutritious nutritious foods, and in doing so, sustain and improve those programs to support and meet the needs of at-risk families. Mission Readiness is the organization of retired admirals and generals working to prepare America's youth for success. Join us as we talk with respected leaders about the challenges facing our next generation. And now, Mission Readiness Associate John Connolly. Welcome to the Mission Readiness Podcast. I'm John Conley, filling in for General Gross. And today on the podcast, we're very excited to present a recent event that we did in Georgia on nutrition and national security. The event was led by retired Rear Admiral Frank Pons, a member of Mission Readiness and a member of our Nutrition and National Security Speakers Bureau. And he was joined by a panel of experts on nutrition and food security in the state of Georgia. You can watch a full recording of this event on our website, strongnation.org. And so without further ado, let's get to the event. I want to thank you and welcome you for joining this very special and important event. And the topic is Georgia's food security is national security. I'm Admiral Pons and I will be the narrator, moderator, as well as a panelist. So to each of you out there, good afternoon. Thanks for joining us today for important discussions about challenges to childhood nutrition and food security in Georgia and why solving those challenges is so important to our national security. I'm Frank Pons. I retired from the United States Navy as a Rear Admiral after 33 years of service within the surface warfare community. In layman's terms, I was a ship driver. During my time in uniform, I served on almost every ship and platform the Navy had to offer, from combat logistics ships to aircraft carriers. I was honored to hold five commands and privileged to serve at the Department of State as a senior Naval advisor to Secretary Rice. As a young man born and raised in a small town in Southern Alabama, I never could have imagined that I would have the opportunity to see so much of the world and experience the wonders of world travel. During my 33 years of service, I traveled to six continents, visited over 70 countries, and traveled or lived in more than 35 states and territories. It was a wonderful career with eye-opening experiences and lifelong lessons. So much so that I proclaim to anyone willing to listen that there is no better place in this world like the United States. Even with its flaws and shortcomings, the United States is still a country where a child's dreams can come true. Unfortunately, my travels also exposed me to the human condition of sorrow, grief, and suffering. And not just abroad, mind you, but right here in the United States. Right here in our own backyards, there are families living below the poverty level and children who go to sleep hungry and wake up even hungrier. Children of families that don't know where that next meal will come from and what it will consist of. These families and their children live in a perpetual state of uncertainty and the vicious cycle of living day to day 
and hand to mouth. It is a haunting image that should serve to remind us that in the land of plenty, there are still those who do not have the basic necessities of life, which brings me to why we are gathered here today. We are gathered here on the Mission Readiness Platform to discuss the challenges and opportunities of food insecurity in the state of Georgia and how that phenomenon, if left unchecked, threatens the readiness of our military and puts at risk its ability to protect and defend our national security interests. So let us begin. I am, a I am a member of Mission Readiness, a national security membership organization of nearly 800 retired admirals and generals. For over decades, members of Mission Readiness have been sounding a clarion call over the alarming fact that 71%, I'll say that again, 71% of 17 to 24 year olds across the countries, across this country are ineligible to serve in the military. The leading disqualifier, among others, is the inability to meet physical standards, i.e. excess body weight. It is a phenomenon that continues to get worse, especially in Georgia, whereas of September of 2020, 73%, 73% of 17 to 24 year olds are ineligible to join the military disqualified, ineligible. Those numbers are not just staggering, they are frightening. The United States commands the most powerful and capable military in the world. That statement is not hubris, it is fact. And at the heart of that tremendous military capability is our people. Our people are men and women of character, intellect, courage, and conviction, who are led by creative and critical thinkers. As a military, we need society to provide us with a deep and diversity bench and inventory of qualified, talented candidates from which we can recruit the best and the brightest. Unfortunately, that talent pool is dwindling and the phenomenon that we see occurring in Georgia is becoming increasingly common across the United States. It has to stop. Lest we find ourselves with a hollow force that is unable to sustain the combat readiness need through the 21st century and beyond. Currently, 31% of Americans between the ages of 17 and 24 do not do not meet the military's core eligibility requirements due to obesity. Those obesity rates have increased significantly for children and adults throughout the United States since 1999. In Georgia, 32.5% of adults and 16% of children ages 10 to 17 were obese as of 2018. And those numbers may well be higher now due to the pandemic. To address this crisis, it is imperative to support proven nutritional programs that provide young people with reliable access to fresh and nutritious foods 
and in doing so, sustain and improve those programs to support and meet the needs of at-risk families who by no fault of their own are living at or below poverty level. It is a crisis, a crisis of significant magnitude that threatens the very existence of our society and the institutions that serve and protect our nation. And in this case, our military, our armed forces. Today, we have a great panel of experts who do incredible and important work across Georgia to support childhood nutrition, food security, and durable and sustainable food systems. Today, we are joined by Tammy Reisner, the Director of Community Partnerships at Open Hand Atlanta, Kim Soltero, the Food Network Manager for Second Happens Atlanta, Mike Reeves, who secures and distributes food for the Middle Georgia Food Bank, and John West, Vice President of Partnerships for the Atlanta Community Food Bank. A warm welcome and huge thanks to our panelists and our audience for being here today. Before we begin our discussion, I want to talk a bit more about why the military leaders of mission readiness are so concerned with nutrition and food security issues. We believe that in order to address this growing obesity crisis, it is imperative to support proven nutrition programs that provide young people with reliable access to fresh and nutritious foods. One of these programs is the National School Lunch Program, which helps make balanced, nutritious meals possible by following science-based nutrition standards and ensuring that youth have access to healthy meals. Listen, children who eat school lunches consume fewer empty calories and have access to more fruits and vegetables than their peers who don't eat school lunch. Participation in the National School Lunch Program is also associated with a lower body mass index, i.e. BMI. Estimates suggest that free and reduced price school lunches can reduce the rate of obesity by at least 17%. During fiscal year 2021, over 694,000 Georgia students participated in the National School Lunch Program. However, the School Lunch pro Program alone cannot combat the rising rates of obesity and the subsequent medical disqualifiers for military service. And during COVID, things obviously got pretty difficult. But thanks to nutrition heroes like some of our colleagues here today, federal regulatory waivers were passed by Congress that made it possible for schools to offer free meals to all children through programs like the Summer Food Service Program. And as students return to school, Waiver extensions allowed school nutrition professionals to continue to safely serve students, whether they were learning in person or remotely. Sadly, some of those waivers are at risk of expiring in a couple of months, and we are urging Congress to extend them. There are other federal programs that are crucial to addressing issues of affordability, 
access and availability of fresh and nutritious, food, nutritious foods for children. That's why Mission Readiness members also support programs like the Special Supplement Nutrition Program for Women, Infants, and Children, known as WIC, as well as the Supplemental Nutrition Assistance Program, known commonly as SNAP. When meaningful progress has been made with each of these programs, COVID-19's impact on food insecurity has exposed many existing shortcomings, shortcomings and needs in other federal nutrition programs, including pro problems associated with enrollment. We've seen declines in enrollment for SNAP, which reduces the prevalence of overweight and obesity among children and adolescents, and WIC, which helps to provide nutrition education and promotes healthy eating for pregnant women and children under five years old. These programs have not been reauthorized and updated by Congress since 2010. So we are urging Congress to harness the bipartisan support that these programs have in order to get them reauthorized as soon as possible. We need those programs to strengthen our nation's food system that is so critical to combating child malnutrition. Existing nutrition programs are key to creating a durable, responsive food system, and no single nutrition program can exist in a, vac in a vacuum. As such, lawmakers should enact policies that support community feeding networks, reduce food waste in schools and markets, and improve public perception of federal child nutrition programs. Additionally, local and community linkages between existing and new programs should also be identified and strengthened. In closing, I'd say this, it is very simple. Increasing children's access to fresh and nutritious foods now can not only help America recover from the pandemic, but bolster our national security in the future. Thank you, and I look forward to our discussion today. One administrative note. During this conference, you can leave questions for us through the chat feature in Zoom, and near the end, we will try to get to as many of these questions as possible. So please be patient. To get us started, I want to welcome Tammy Reasoner of Community Partnerships for Open Hand Atlanta. Thanks for joining us, Tammy. Over to you, please. Thank you, Admiral Pons. Uh, it's such a pleasure to be on this panel today. I have served as the Community Partnership Director and the leader for our SNAP-Ed activities here at Open Hand. Uh, for the last nine years. Open Hand has served the Metro Atlanta community for our 34th anniversary this year. We did uh, start during the HIV AIDS crisis. And as other health crises have emerged in the South, which would be obesity, heart disease, hypertension, uh, over the last 20 years, Open Hand has also created nutrition interventions through meals and health programs to meet that need here in the South. 
so we started as a compassion program and we really moved that needle to evidence-based programs as well. Um, in the last decade, we've even taken on the challenge of looking at prevention as well as maintenance and helping people who are medically fragile. And that work has created different activities, including becoming a SNAP-Ed, which is the nutrition education part of SNAP, as most people would call food stamps back in the day. Um, and we have been funded under USDA's program around that for the last seven years to meet communities that are underserved where they are with different opportunities. Um, unfortunately, we also know all too well the factors that lead to obesity and have seen that with our partners and in the community. And frequently that includes hunger, um, which our partners at the food banks uh, can also speak to. And that hunger is in young people and families. So we're involved in a number of programs and efforts to help those communities. I'll speak about a couple of those. Uh, Open Hand is an active partner with several WIC districts across the state of Georgia. Uh, Admiral Ponce talked about women, infant, and children being a very key program. Um, it is where a taste for healthy produce and other things start. Children can be on the program till age five. So that's a critical getting ready for school program. And it's also for moms uh, during uh, gestation, having the child and after. Um, unfortunately, it, it has across the country um, dropped a lot of members over the years and has a retention issue. So we're very actively engaged in the state of Georgia with work groups at policy levels and community levels trying to figure out how we can keep moms and children in the program and keep them engaged. Uh, one of those programs is partnering with, with nutritionists and having them teach an evidence-based program called Cooking Matters, where the moms and kids come into the clinic and online as we pivoted during COVID to teach a nutrition, uh, have a nutritious meal, learn how to cook hands-on and use those WIC foods that are available to them. In addition to that, we've been able to do really exciting programs uh, with Sesame Street and some other partners to make the WIC clinic environment more welcoming, as well as get messages across about eating more fruits and vegetables and have lots of exciting evidence around how that's working as we return to our new normal post-COVID. Uh, a lot of these programs started before COVID and we're supporting them as they transition online and hopefully there'll be a hybrid model in the future. In addition to that, we've also been partners with Quality Care for Children in the state of Georgia, providing nutritious meals to the summer food program that was mentioned. That's so critical and really having partners that see beyond just um, to make sure that fresh is available and it's available as part of every meal component. So kids have different options and that we're not just giving them honestly frozen bologna sandwiches because kids deserve better. Um, and that's the kind of work that some of our partners at Quality Care for Children have done as they push the envelope to provide healthier meals in partnership with us and our registered dietitians and making sure that those are on offer across uh, Metro Atlanta. Um, we also do a training with Quality Care for Children for child care providers. Uh, and this would be the age five and under. And we take that 
statewide to help uh, the kitchen managers, cooks, and folks who even have in-home or larger childcare providers to make sure they have healthier options and kid-friendly menus so kids experience salad bars and fresh items and create that palette for really healthier options on that young age. And that's been really exciting to see take off across the state of Georgia. Um, and then the most comprehensive program that we're currently offering, we've done it with a couple child uh, programs, but we do it a oftentimes with families and adults and with the Veterans Administration here in Georgia, I'm proud to say, we offer a comprehensive produce prescription program, which people are screened in for food insecurity. And we work with them for 24 weeks and provide produce as well as uh, nutrition education. We'd actually call it a cooking class in layman's terms because no one wants to come to a nutrition education session. But I bet I could get Admiral Pons to a cooking class next week. Uh, so we talk about how to eat healthier, balanced diets, watching your sodium, but everyone's taking home a box of 10 to 20 pounds of produce every week. And that's where change has really happened. Those interventions have happened in South Georgia with Valdosta and Tifton, we just launched in Columbus, and we've been all across Metro Atlanta in the last four years with partners like Food Bank, Grady Health System, and some other uh, smaller federally qualified healthcare centers to make sure we reach families, moms, parents, and everyone across the spectrum with this type of deep nutrition education. And um, really the program has great data that we're getting ready to publish that shows that it reduces blood pressure and waist circumference, which are two leading indicators of obesity. So really excited to have support around this program. And the key federal funding for both WIC and SNAP-Ed is critical for having these programs supported and bringing them statewide to underserved communities. Thank you, Admiral. Thank you very much, Tammy, for those very insightful comments. I just want to focus on something that you talked about, about the issue of partnerships. You know, nothing can be done alone, especially when the challenge is so huge and so complex. So I think and I believe in my heart of hearts that your outreach to the communities is really making a difference in addressing these critical issues and finding options and opportunities for sustainable solutions. So thank you very much. Thank you very much to the Open Hand Atlanta organization for all that you do. So next I'll let's invite Mr. Mike Reeves of the Middle Georgia Community Food Bank to share his thoughts. Mike, over to you. Good afternoon, everyone, and thank you, Admiral Pons. Uh, I'm Mike Reeves with the Middle Georgia Community Food Bank, uh, and I've been here just over a year. Uh, my first career was 35 plus years in banking and finance. Uh, I retired, um, wanted something to fill my spare time, uh, volunteered at a uh, food pantry in Ohio where I lived at the time. Uh, that went from four hours every other week to 120 hours a month. Um, Early last year, uh, I decided to move south to enjoy better weather uh, and actually took a job with the, with the Middle Georgia Community Food Bank. Um, as the agency uh, has grown, um, excuse me, the, the food bank has grown over the last 40 years from a, literally being served out of, a, out of a pickup truck to a warehouse with distribution in 24 counties 
and I'm happy to say now that we actually have agencies in all of our 24 counties, which we didn't have when I first started a little over a year ago. In 2020 alone, the Middle Georgia Community Food Bank provided over 10 million meals to Middle Georgia families in our 24 county area. These are exciting times for us. Um, the Georgia Department of Community Affairs and Macon Bibb County approved an expansion project for our organization late last year. And uh, that's gonna allow us to grow initially the, the front half of our building, which is uh, gonna be for office staff. Currently we have uh, no space to put anyone additionally in our location to run additional programs that I'll mention as we go forward. Um, so that's integral for us to continue to grow and meet needs uh, of our of our area service area. Um, we're going to be able to expand that uh, with the help of DCA, who approved 2.3 million, and Macon Bibb County approved another million dollars, or slightly less than that. Um, so we'll have a nice front to our building uh, for people to work in and grow in and meet the needs of everyone in our agency uh, network. Um, even before the pandemic, nearly a quarter of Macon Bibb County residents already live below the poverty line. Um, during the pandemic, we saw a profound need uh, because of all the people who worked at hotels, restaurants, and other businesses that reduced their workforce cl or closed down completely. People lost their jobs, didn't know where to turn, had bills to pay, mouths to feed, and the insecurity rate went up significantly. Uh, as evidenced by long lines in all of the uh, uh, food, uh, mobile food pantries we provided and in our uh, partner agencies across our 24 counties. Um, last year, we supplied more than 12 million pounds of food uh, and that's our busiest year yet. Um, and we're the smallest food bank in the state of Georgia. Um, we've increased our number of food pantries by 30% in the last year uh, as of September. And as of September as well, we have an agency in at least one in all 24 counties, and we're working to continue to grow that. So where we have three or four or five uh, agencies in each county to make it more accessible to the residents and their, and their children. Um, COVID really impacted everybody, whether you were working or not working, um, because it put significant strains on everybody in the workforce who was still there. Um, so we saw an increase in not only just unemployed, but the employed who had to make their resources go further because many took significant pay cuts in order to continue to work. At the, at the Middle Georgia Community Food Bank, we are continuing to grow our backpack program, which is specifically for children, to ensure that children don't go home over the weekend and, and face hunger, much like the child uh, food program in the schools during the Monday through Friday, this kind of picks up where that leaves off. So they've got food to take home Friday afternoon when they leave school to get them through the weekend. Um, and that's significant. Right now we're only in about 12 or 13 of our counties. We're continuing to grow that because we need that resource in all 24 counties. We need to continue to find those partner agencies that wanna help do that. Um, in addition to that, um, we have started as of this year, uh, a new program uh, that we actually started with um, Feeding America in which the correlation between food insecurity 
and healthcare uh, have come to more of the forefront. And as we can uh, help address things that uh, Admiral Pons talked about uh, and hopefully reduce the, the overweight um, population in, a, in the United States and in Georgia specifically for us, uh, reduce it below that 73% who aren't physically able to uh, join the military to a much significantly lower number. We wanna continue to do that and as we partner up and here recently we partnered up with uh, Atrium Hospital here in Macon. Um, they actually have a program where their doctors go out, uh, have visit with their patients. Um, and if they have hypertension, diabetes, et cetera, they actually write them a prescription or refer it over to another part of the campus. They actually go through for the next 52 weeks, they go through a process. They receive food from the, from the uh, food pantry that's set up at the hospital. They are followed up with every two weeks by uh, um, staff that man the food pantry. Almost all of them are either registered dietitians or nurses. So they know what these impacts can be. So, and they work to provide them healthy food from the farm programs that we get as well to make sure it's zero salt or low salt. Uh, it's no sugar added or in water or in, in natural juices, as opposed to heavy syrup and stuff that we, a lot of us used to see when we were kids. Um, so it, it's all about providing access to food to folks who really need it and get them the most, most healthy choices that are available out there today. Back to you, Admiral Pons. Thanks, Mike. Uh, sounds like you found your second career and uh, I'm glad you did. I mean, having that business component in this sector is critically important because you can find those funds that are desperately needed. So I'm sure you're gonna put all your talent to work and getting those funds and put them to good use. So thanks a lot to you and the Middle Georgia Community Food Bank for all that you do. And listen, growing up, I worked in those food banks. I used to go into those warehouses and move food from the shelves to the, to the bags and from the bags to the vans and from the vans to the community and the churches and all those other places. And I gotta tell you, there was tremendous gratification in doing so. Even after, you know, joining the military, when I'd go home, I would go back to the food banks and volunteer to do the same things I did as a teenager. So there's a need and thanks a lot to you and the Middle Georgia Community Food Bank for meeting that need. It is sorely needed. The other thing I wanna highlight is that you talked about your relationship with the medical sector. That is critically important for us to understand that there is a health component to you know, food insecurity and it's long lasting and it causes additional health problems throughout the life of an individual who don't have those healthy, nutritious meals, especially as a child, especially when they are growing and maturing. So thanks a lot to you for partnering with those agencies and those organizations. I hope that you get everything expanded so that you can reach out and serve those 24 counties that you mentioned earlier. So keep it going, my friend. What you do is necessary. So thank, thank you. you. And that's our goal. Thank you very much. I'll now turn to uh, Kim Sotero from Second Helpings Atlanta to get her thoughts. Over to you, Kim. Thank you, Admiral. And thank you for inviting me today. Um, I am an Atlanta native who moved back to the city when my husband retired from the Navy in 2019, so just before the pandemic. Um, 
one of the ways that I think I got into this work is um, while my family was stationed in Guam toward the end of his time of service, um, I realized that the commissary was not able to donate the food um, that they weren't using. And instead, they were actually having to discard it. And um, if anyone's familiar with Guam, or I'm sure you can maybe picture it, there's huge need. Um, and an island like that with a lot of supply issues, which I think now we're all in the world of supply issues. But back then it was, you know, a, a new experience for a lot of us military spouses. Um, so they, they had been discarding this food and I was able to sort of figure out a way to, um, to have them donate that food instead. Um, that got me really interested in being in this food space. Um, I worked at both the Rhode Island Community Food Bank and a large soup kitchen at our last duty station, which was in Rhode Island. Um, and now for the last couple of years, I have been the Food Network Manager at Second Helpings Atlanta. Uh, Second Helpings Atlanta is a nonprofit food rescue organization whose mission is to reduce hunger and food waste in Metro Atlanta by rescuing healthy nutritious surplus food and distributing it to those in need. Um, what that really means is we have about 300 volunteers who help us connect our network of 70 active food donors to our about 65-ish partner agencies that we work with who are actually out there providing the direct services to hungry people all around Metro Atlanta every day, um, all around the city. The food that we rescue every day is nearly all perishable items. So we mainly see foods like fresh produce, dairy, protein, bakery items, which are really, you know, when you think about it, the exact foods that we want our children to have access to every day. Um, these are really like healthy, great food that otherwise in our, unfortunately, in our food system today are destined for the landfill. Um, so in 2021, Second Helpings was able to rescue 3.6 million pounds of fresh surplus food, which um, roughly equates to about 3 million meals. Um, I want to shout out a couple of our partners. Um, one, Mercedes-Benz Stadium, who during this last uh, Atlanta Falcons football season um, donated over 65,000 pounds of food from their VIP suites to us. Um, we deliver all that food within the stadium's footprint, which is an area of high need and uh, high food insecurity in Atlanta. So we're really proud of that work. We're also working really closely with the meal kit company, HelloFresh. Uh, we rescue their surplus produce, their surplus meal kits. And we, for about the last six months, have also worked really closely with them launching a program that they have in several cities called Meals with Meaning. And that program provides 2,000 specially designed, family-friendly meal kits for families of four people, so 8,000 plates of food. Um, every week, we distribute those through our partners at the Office of Immigrant Affairs and also the City of Atlanta. And those go out. Um, we pack the meal kits on Wednesday morning. We just did it today. And they immediately leave our warehouse, and they are in people's kitchens probably right now. <laughs> um, so as we know, food insecurity is a social determinant of health and educational success. Children who face food insecurity are significantly more likely to struggle with health conditions, not only obesity, as I, we've mentioned several times, but also anemia, asthma, mental health, developmental delays, social delays, uh, motor skills, memory, all sorts, of, all sorts of things are impacted when children don't have regular access to healthy food. Um, 
So we really think of ourselves as filling a critical role in alleviating food insecurity for children and teenagers in Atlanta. Um, we partner with um, nonprofits that are both large and small around the city. So um, a couple of quick highlights from our work last year, um, through our partnership with uh, an organization called At Promise and Chris 180, um, Second Helpings provided over 120,000 pounds of food, um, which supported West Side and South Fulton County families for foster and homeless youth. Um, we also work with an organization called Core Inc., which provides wraparound services at um, a school called Carver Steam Academy, where there's a lot of need for families. Um, and that organization is specifically designed to remove non-academic obstacles to student achievement in that high school. Um, so they really focus on food insecurity, but they're also helping provide those kids with clothes. If kids show up to school and they're embarrassed that they don't have clothes, they have a, they have a pantry. Um, you know, they have uh, feminine hygiene products for girls who, you know, they, they're embarrassed to come to school. So there's a lot of needs there that are being met by our partners um, that, to really make education and achievement um, attainable. Um, and so we're really proud to have folks like that as, as our partners. Um, and we have some really small programs that we work with too. We have a couple of programs that we work with really only over the summer or on an ad hoc basis. Um, one is called Mimi's Pantry. It's at the Joseph and Evelyn Lowry Institute. They support um, the students who are at the Atlanta University Center and um, they get these college students who especially during the pandemic, have faced huge amounts of food insecurity. Um, during school breaks, when there's no meal plans available, they are the ones who are stepping in and saying, have this bag of food. You know, this is going to get you through winter break. This is going to get you through spring break. Take these bags of food home to your family. If you're going home to your family and share it with, with the folks that you love. Um, so um, we have just so many partners that we're so proud of. Um, so there are so many people all around the city who are just doing the most amazing work. And um, I'm amazed by the folks that I work with every single day and, and proud to support those programs. Wow, thanks a lot, Kim. I mean, that was phenomenal. And not only because of the, you know, your history with the Navy, which I'm so proud of, uh, but all the things that you do, you figured out the way to break the code. I mean, for so long, I'd watch um, the commissary throw food out of the back door that could be used. I mean, it was barely, it wasn't even expired. It wasn't open or even damaged. But for some reason, they would just toss it out. And now I understand why they did that. It may yeah. have not made a lot of sense, uh, but for some reason, that's the way they did business. I'm glad you were able to turn that around so we could use, and as you say, rescue that food. 3.6 million pounds of fresh surplus food. That's phenomenal. So God bless you and thank you for all that you do in Second Heavens Atlanta and for the partnerships that you've made. I like that photo behind you with the car and the fork and the spoon sitting side by side, making it happen. I mean, it is a partnership and all of you are creating these relationships and these spaces where relationships are needed. So God bless you and thank you very much. Thanks, Kim, for those insightful comments. Absolutely. Next, we'll hear from our final guest panelist, uh, Mr. John West, who is Vice President of Partnerships for the Atlanta Community Food Bank. Over to you, John. 
Thank you, Admiral Pons, and uh, it's a pleasure to be here again, uh, certainly to be uh, having this conversation with folks who've joined us, but also just to be a part of uh, the good conversation that's already happened here. I'm, I'm uh, thinking through in my head as, as I begin here, just sort of what I can add, because uh, so many, uh, so much good information has already been shared here, so grateful for the partnerships of the folks that have already, have already spoken today. Uh, maybe just there's a couple things that I'll mention here um, just to maybe zoom out a little bit on some of the issues that we're all working on collectively here. And then I know we've got some time for questions and, and conversation afterwards. So I'd start by maybe just uh, asking folks to, um, to do a little thought exercise with me, if you could. Um, so I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to give us 10 seconds, and I want you to think about a child uh, that you know and you love. Can be your own kid, could be a neighbor, could be a um, could be a nephew, um, niece, whoever it is. But take take a couple of seconds and think about a child that you know that you love that you have a relationship with. All right, hold that child in your mind, and we're gonna we're gonna circle back to it that child in just a minute. Um, the the food bank uh, that we work I work for here in Atlanta, the Atlanta Community Food Bank. We're we're one of seven uh, food banks in the state of Georgia. I work closely with Mike and his team down there in middle Georgia. Uh, we have responsibility for 29 counties uh, around the metro Atlanta area. Uh, and across that 29 counties, there are somewhere in the neighborhood of about 800,000 individuals uh, who at some point during the year don't know where their next meal is going to come from. Uh, we're one of 200 Feeding America food banks across the nation. And as one of those food banks, uh, we have responsibility for thinking about how do we help those 800,000 folks figure out where that next meal is going to come from? How do we solve that problem in partnership with individuals and communities? About 220,000, maybe a little bit more um, now, uh, post-COVID, um, are kids. Um, so uh, over a quarter of them uh, who don't know where their next meal is coming from are kids. Uh, and so as we think about the work that we do here in the metro Atlanta area, uh, we work with 700 different partner organizations that are really kind of the frontline boots on the ground folks embedded in their communities for trying to figure out what need looks like and what resources that they have to provide uh, to support those individuals. So our main work is finding ways to support those partners. And we do that, uh, did that last year by uh, moving about 100 million pounds of food. Um, that was about a 60% increase in what we would typically do during a year as we tried to respond, like everybody on the call, to what COVID was uh, stirring up in our communities. Um, and what that looked like uh, on a day-to-day -day basis for us is we really try to centralize the acquisition of food. Um, so can we do that work well so that our partners don't have to worry about it? So they come to us, they can get that food. And then the distribution of that food across those 29 counties gets decentralized in a way that makes it local, that makes it personal, that makes it relational. Um, when we're talking about trying to solve an issue like hunger, um, food insecurity, lack of nutrition, um, that's a personal issue. Uh, and all meaningful change has to happen in the context of relationships. So can we free up some of those community-based organizations to know their communities, to build organizations with individuals and households so that they don't have time to spend time running around finding food, but can do that core work of meeting the needs of those people. Um, so that's a little bit of a snapshot of our work. And we do many of the things that have kind of been mentioned or in partnership with these great organizations on the phone, uh, on, on the call here today. Um, so I won't, I won't dig too deeply into there. We've got a great website, acfb.org, if you want to learn more about that. Uh, but I'll leave you with just two quick thoughts uh, on the larger 
uh, question here, right? So I think you, if you're on this call, you probably know, and if you didn't know when you joined, you've probably been convinced that this issue of food insecurity, hunger, um, undernourishment that our, our, our neighbors, our kids are wrestling with is present in Georgia and it's prevalent in Georgia, right? So the thing I would challenge us to think about, the thing I challenge myself to think about when I come to work every day, when I'm talking to my team, is we cannot be complacent on this issue. Um, we need a sense of urgency around this that I'll be candid has been lacking for some time. We could have had this conversation five years ago. It would have sounded very similar to the conversation that we're having today. And as somebody who's worked in this space for that long, I'm embarrassed to say that that's true. We have not made up much ground on this issue uh, in my time working. I think part of the challenge there is that our posture to it uh, is needs to be more urgent. Um, we've gotten a little bit complacent in terms of how we talk to our communities and how we talk to our leaders and what we expect of them and what we expect of each other when we're trying to wrestle with an issue like that. It, it's, this is not a simple issue, right? Anytime we're trying to unwind the threads of a complex issue that has so many social determinants attached to it, it is complex. Um, but complexity should not be an excuse for us to be in the same place next year that we are today. So the thing I challenge myself to think about, my team to think about, I challenge all of us to think about is how can I bring to my work a greater sense of urgency tomorrow than I brought to it today because it matters, because it's worth that, right? So I want to take us back to that kid I've asked you to think about in the front end, right? We've got to make this issue personal. We cannot keep thinking about it as somebody else's kids that are affected, but we got to think about it as our kids, right? I have two boys. I have a 12-year-old. I have a 10-year-old. Uh, and if I keep their face in front of me and think about those kids, my kids, being the kids that are waking up on a Monday morning trying to get to school and they don't have anything for breakfast, the way I behave in response to that is very different than I think I think about it as being someone else's kids. So to the degree that we can, how can we remember that these are our neighbors, these are our communities who are at risk here, who, at, who are at threat here, right? Kids cannot thrive if they're hungry. My kid cannot thrive if he is hungry. Your kid cannot thrive if they are hungry. So how do we bring that sense of relationship, um, that sense of urgency to the conversation that we're having and the solutions that we think might be helpful? So I'll leave you with those two thoughts and grateful for the conversation today. Great, grateful that there's so, um, so many good comrades here that we're, uh, that we're working alongside to make some success uh, and make some progress on it. I'm confident if we can do that, we, we, we can be in a different place next year than we are today. So thanks for the conversation, Admiral Pons. Oh, thank you, John. I got to tell you, don't be embarrassed because a lot of us, and when I say us, I'm including most of Americans, uh, they don't understand and, or appreciate, you know, the challenges that most families go through. They don't understand or appreciate that a lot of families are living at or below the poverty level. And there's a lack of appreciation for how a child's growth is stunted. Their ability to think critically is stunted. If they don't have that nutrition at an early age, let me rewind and talk about something that you ask us to do. And you say, hold in your mind a vision of an individual, a child uh, that's near and dear to you. Now, I'm a grandfather now. Just, you know, he's two years old. But the child that I'm holding in my mind is myself. 
you know, when I went through school in Otogaville, Alabama, you know, we had school pro school nutrition programs, you know, and we look forward to those breakfasts and those lunches and those evening snacks in order to keep us going. Here's the thing. Those programs ran out. They expired right when I was in the ninth grade. And I can remember vividly sitting beside in classrooms with kids who had to go without breakfast. And you could barely hear the teachers talking because of the rumbling of the stomachs because they were hungry. Now, who can focus if you are hungry? No one can. So we need to make sure that we address this issue. And again, like you, John, um, in the partnerships for the Atlanta Community Food Banks, you are making this a reality. You are bringing this crisis to the forefront of Americans. So will we be here next year? Will we be where we are, were last year? My prayer is that we won't. And because of platforms like this, organizations like Mission Readiness and organizations that you are a part of, I know that we could make a difference. I am confident that we can make a difference. Pandemics, epidemics, they will always come and go. Nutrition, child nutrition, it shouldn't be here. We can fix this. And if we work together collectively, we can get it done. So can we? The answer is yes. Should we? Absolutely. So thanks, John, to you and your organization for making this work. So we're done with the panelists. I want to give out a huge thanks to each of the panelists for sharing their insights on these important issues. I'd like to now pose a few questions and ask each of you to share your thoughts on these questions. Uh, we have approximately 15 minutes left. We're going to um, allocate five minutes to each question. I'll ask you to just give about a one to one and a half minute response. And to keep things going and flowing, I'll call on each of you for your response. So here's the first question. What do you think are the next steps to further improve childhood nutrition and food security in Georgia? The second part of that question. And what can we and those of us watching today do immediately at the state and local level to improve outcomes for Jordans. Now you've answered that question pretty much in your initial responses, but I'd like for you to elaborate in your comments. First, over to you, Tammy, for the first response. Thank you for the question. Um, I, I work within the space. I know several of our partners work within the space of working within government agencies and federally funded programs. Um, a lot of us have been funded, either they haven't been renewed for over a decade or several programs have been um, funded, but at a stagnant level. Uh, try to go buy a pound of chicken right now at a stagnant level. The, the index, inflation index on food and nutrition is insane right now. Um, so additional funding and resources need to be applied to these issues urgently and immediately. And by, you know, I love the partnerships with the food bank, but it can't all fall on the food bank. Um, and that is how COVID was treated in, in essence as we shifted those issues to food banks to step up. And we saw people waiting in line for hours in their car. 
Um, so additional resources need to be provided. We need to reward innovation. If people aren't staying in programs due to bureaucracy or paperwork or not feeling welcome, we need to rethink the program, rethink the, uh, you know, if I was paying, would I pay for my program? Or is it just something we do because we have to? Uh, there needs to be a rebranding. Innovation needs to be rewarded. And that's not really how our system is set up. And it's not how some of our government partners who run a lot of these programs are set up versus I know every single food bank partner works on innovation that's on this panel right now. And if we didn't innovate and fix our programs when they weren't work working, we wouldn't be in business. And so, you know, it's okay to admit defeat and it's okay to ask for help, but we need to do a better job and we need to create programs that are community-based that our community want. And that includes the families. We can't keep doing business as usual. Thank you, Tam Cam Tammy. Kim, your thoughts, please. Yeah, so um, I have two thoughts. And, um, and one kind of circles back to what John was talking about a minute ago, um, you know, about the urgency. When when the pandemic hit and, you know, suddenly we felt like there were so many people who had so much heightened need, um, people responded. We made laws to make access easier, to get more food to more places more quickly and to lower the thresholds for a lot of families. Um, we need to say now to our politicians and lawmakers, that's the start. We're not going to let you ever go backwards from here. But. From here, we want you to keep pushing. Um, you know, some of these um, some of these laws and were, were very temporary and they're expiring. Um, we can't let them expire. We have to say no. Like it wasn't good enough before. It's still not good enough. But this is the baseline. This is the new baseline, and this is the least we will accept. Um, and then, because I'm a food rescue organization, um, I would also just ask people, you know, at the grocery stores where you're shopping, at the restaurants that you have a relationship with the, the chef or the owner, um, the, just the places where you're doing food business, talk to them about what they're doing with their food. Every food business, every food business has surplus. That food should not be going into garbage cans. There are organizations, not just Second Helpings, but there are plenty of organizations. I talk to church groups all the time that tell me that they're going to the mom and pop diner down the street to pick up leftover food every day or to, you know, the, the corner market to pick up milk once a week. Um, so, you know, every food business should be doing that as part of their corporate responsibility and engagement with their community. Um, and we as consumers need to be talking to them about that and making sure that they know that that's something that's important to us because we want people to be having that food and for it not to be filling our landfills. Outstanding. Thank you, Kim. Mike, what else would you like to add? Well, it's two things. Um, the first and foremost, I, I'm kind of echo Tammy's comment earlier. Um, when we go to the grocery store, we see sticker shock every time now. Um, and, and, and one of the worst parts is eating healthy is expensive. To go buy that fresh produce, that those fresh vegetables, the fresh fruits, uh, the, the chicken, et cetera, it's more and more expensive every day. 
Um, one of the bills I think that's gonna expire soon is, is a bill that uh, allowed Feeding America and local food banks to negotiate with farmers to, to get their more of their product and their product that might not go directly into the grocery store because it might have blemishes on it or whatever. Um, and for us to get that food and be able to distribute out, um, that's critical for food banks to be able to provide healthy resources to those folks. And to me, it also still then dovetails back into the healthcare issues and access to healthcare. And if you don't fix both problems together with healthcare and food insecurity, then you're never gonna fix the gap. You're never gonna be able to, to solve the issue. And the more integrated you can get when it comes to, me to medical care, the better off you're gonna be. Absolutely. Hey, thanks, Mike. Hey, John, your final thoughts briefly, please. Well, the last thing I'll, I was just so ditto to everything that was said, let's fund the things that work and let's make it as easy as possible for people to get access to them. Child nutrition programs work. There's plenty of data on that. Fund them fully and make it as easy as possible for people to get, get access to them. I think the action call on that is uh, this is a Georgia conversation. We are we are lucky to have four members of Congress on the Agricultural Committee in the House. Those folks shape a lot of what happens around these programs. Um, pick up the phone and make a call to those folks. It's, they should know from Georgians that this is key, that this is important, and that we're going to be watching to make sure that this shows up and is and is followed through on. Outstanding. Thanks to all the panelists for your responses. You know, I had a second question, but you actually answered the second question in your first responses. It was about the stigma of being a part of these programs. So I guess what we have to do as organizations and partners, we have to help to remove the stigma of being a part of these programs. We have to help those families to release the guilt of the stigma of taking advantage of these programs and get into that space and take advantage of what is offered by these programs. Programs. So I want to say thanks to each of you for your opinion and insightful responses. We're now going to answer some questions from the audience, but I'm going to turn it over to the staff to manage that because we are running closely out of time. And before I close, I want to say thanks to each of our panelists for joining us today and for sharing your thoughts. And thanks also for the amazing work you do for our Georgia families. We at Mission Readiness feel incredibly lucky to have great partners in our work and doing our work. We here at Mission Readiness also urge those who represent Georgia to reflect on its motto, wisdom, justice, moderation, in supporting, maintaining, and advancing programs in the fight against food insecurity. Over to you, Megan. Sure, so since we are pretty much at time, if anyone in the audience has any questions, either for the full audience or for the full panel here or for any specific panelists, if you wanna email team at missionreadiness.org, we will make sure that those questions are directed to the right people and that they can get back to you. But thank you so much for all taking the time to join us today. Well, okay, thank you very much. I guess with that, we'll sign off. And if there are any questions, just submit them to Mission Readiness and um, we can get their responses back to you. It's great to see the panelists. I hope to see you again. If I'm in Georgia, I will call on you to come in and, and meet you personally. Thank you for everything that you do.
Well, a very big thank you to Admiral Ponce for leading that discussion and for all of the panelists and attendees who joined us for that important conversation. And a reminder, you can find a full recording of the conversation on our website at strongnation.org. I'm John Conley, and this has been the Mission Readiness Podcast. In today's episode, you heard from Mission Readiness member, Navy retired Rear Admiral Frank Pons. For more information on the Mission Readiness Podcast, Mission Readiness, Council for a Strong America, and for a complete archive of the, our episodes, please visit strongnation.org. A reminder to subscribe to the podcast, give us a positive and tell your friends about the program. We're available on Spotify, Apple Podcasts, or wherever you get your podcasts. And thank you for your support in our mission to keep kids in school, in shape, and out of trouble.